It is Locked on Jazz for the 15th of September. Did the L.A. Clippers expose the Jazz in a way that's replicable for the rest of the NBA this season? Plus Chuck Cooperstein, day two, Lakers, Clippers, over, under, coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Give you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan. We are free and available on all platforms for you, including YouTube, where you can subscribe at Locked on Jazz on your Odyssey app, on your Spotify app, on your Apple app, whatever it might be. We are available for you free and on all platforms. It's your team every day. Hope you're doing great. We're getting closer. We keep talking about it every day. It's getting exciting. So let me talk about something I've been asked a lot. Did the Clippers expose the Utah Jazz in a manner that is going to be replicable for the regular season. And then Chuck Cooperstein will rejoin us. If you didn't hear day one of over-unders, that's available for you. Um, We had a pretty good time. Chuck's a great guy. I hope you're enjoying it. If you want to send Chuck a thank you, um, I would super appreciate that at uh, Coop Mavs on Twitter. That'd be great. All right, so here's what the Clippers really did to the Utah Jazz last year. They were able to take Rudy Gobert out of the defensive impact on the game. And the way they did it is because the Jazz were the number one team in the NBA, basically in pick and roll offensively and pick and roll defensively. The Jazz ran the second most amount of picks in the NBA on an offensive end. Uh, Only Atlanta Hawks ran more. And the Jazz were the number three team in the NBA in pick and roll in efficiency, only behind Brooklyn and the L.A. Clippers. Now, on the other side of it, on the defensive side is where they really got us, right? So on the defensive side, the Jazz defense last year against the pick and roll was the number one in the NBA, followed by the Lakers, the 76ers, and interestingly enough, the Warriors, um, which should actually tend to me to kind of think the Warriors might be better than you think. That was, and by a decent amount. And then what gets interesting is that the teams in the NBA ran the sixth most amount of picks against the Jazz in the regular season. This this was certainly surprising, right? Like, I, I don't think that, if you actually think about it, why would this many teams run this many plays at the Jazz and what they do best? That's... That is, the you know, certainly um, I, w- I would suspect otherwise. Then you get to the, to the playoffs and the Jazz defense suddenly against the pick and roll was not nearly as good. Suddenly it slipped a great margin, which is, I think, the first concerning thing is that even when they played pick and roll defense, it wasn't quite as good as it was during the regular season. And then in the last few games of the series, the Clippers simply spread the floor with five guys moved Rudy to the outside, and didn't run pick and roll. And they didn't actually let us run pick and roll often. So the two things that made us best got negated. Is this replicable for the rest of the NBA? Well, the, to do it, 
against us, you'd have to have offensively. Let's talk about just making Rudy less impactful defensively. You have to have two things on, on your roster. One is you have to have a stretch five. This is probably why we struggled as much as we did against Minnesota last year and a little bit of why we probably struggled against Washington last year. Uh, Washington, particularly because they got out in transition, played fast, and we didn't, we couldn't get them defensively into the half court. And then Minnesota, because Carl Anthony Towns pulls out, and they suddenly have five shooters. And now, where who's Rudy guarding? So the first thing that is is if some if some team has a a stretch five, a big that is more comfortable playing on the outside than the inside, then that gets a, that's going to get a little difficult. That's the first scenario. And frankly, if you go back to last year, the Clippers did this to us in like whatever, the 12th or 13th game of the year. Other teams had done this to us during the year. We had been exposed, but the amount of teams that can do it and can do it well is few and far between. And we happen to run into one that was great at it in the playoffs. So the first thing is, do they have a real stretch five? And then the second Part of it is, are all five players on the floor shooters? Because if somebody's a bad shooter, we can slack off of that guy or put Rudy on him, and then Rudy can still penetrate the middle. And then the third piece of this puzzle is, do they have five guys that can dribble, drive, and penetrate? Which is really basically what the Clippers were able to get. You probably don't need five. You probably need two or three that are elite level dribble drive guys. So in the case of, you know, Anthony, when you think about the game we lost to Philadelphia where they didn't have Joel Embiid, they suddenly played five out. Ben Simmons, elite dribble drive. Rudy can't have the same impact or Rudy has to guard the ball at 25 feet. And then they're driving on Rudy. He's not playing pick and roll. He's not impacting the same way. We're the easiest team in the world to play defense for. Your job defensively is if you have the ball handler and they run a pick and roll is to play so he doesn't shoot a step back three, drive him in the lane to Rudy who guards both the big and the, and the dribble hand and the ball handler. And, then at the same time, if you're guarding any of the three guys that are selling shooters, hug them and don't let them shoot threes. Like it's not a hard system, but what gets hard is when they suddenly play spread, they don't play the pick and roll and they just drive at us. So the script is there. I'm not sure it's entirely new would be the first thing I would say. And then the amount of teams in the NBA that actually can do it, I think is few and far between, which is going to be difficult for us is trying to figure out during the regular season as we watch like, are we, you know, are these teams doing it? Brooklyn probably um, could do it with Harden and Irving and Durant. Nobody can guard them anyway. If Milwaukee plays Giannis at the five, but Giannis actually kind of negates it. You drop off Giannis, Rudy still plays in the middle. You still do that. The Knicks don't have the personnel to do it. Atlanta, if they're playing Capella, doesn't have the personnel to do it. Miami doesn't have the personnel to do it because of Bam out of Bayou. Boston's got Robert Williams and Ennis Cantor and Al Horford, so they probably don't have the personnel to do it. Washington Wizards get interesting depending with Thomas Bryant, if he's healthy or if they're playing who they're playing at the center. Indiana with Miles Turner should be difficult, but they have Demata Sabonis on the floor so that suddenly they can't do it. Um, the Hornets, I actually can't think off the top of my head what they're doing with center because they got rid of Cody Zeller. Um, I thought, you know, if they could go make the Miles Turner move or something like that, they would be um, way better. Um I'm trying to think of who the uh, who the Hornets. Wow, I should I should probably know who the Hornets center is at this point in time as we get ready for the season, but I clearly don't. Who is their center? Um, 
I actually don't feel bad about this anymore. I, I, I guess it's Mason Plumley. So they don't have a center. So who are they going to – What? like if Mason Plumley's on the floor, um, certainly, but if they suddenly started playing like with Gordon Hayward or someone like that, if Kelly Oubre is their center, they're going to get – that's an interesting – wow, that's a weird roster. Um, to see, so if we keep – you know, in the West, Phoenix has got DeAndre Ayton on the floor. They're not going to do it. Denver's got Jokic on the floor. He does it a little bit not the same way. The Clippers obviously can. Dallas is going to be really difficult because Przingis plays the five. And they spread Przingis out with a bunch of shooters. And you can do it. You're going to have to take advantage of Przingis the other way. I think Portland could be really difficult because they'll do it with Larry Nance and pull Nurkic off the floor. The Lakers are difficult if Anthony Davis is doing, but he's such a not great three-point shooter. You almost let Rudy just guard Anthony Davis and let Anthony Davis shoot a bunch of threes. And if he beats you from three, you tip your hat. Memphis with Steven Adams isn't a problem. The Warriors, Draymond Green, such a poor shooter. I don't think he really does it. San Antonio's got Jakob Pertl. San New Orleans got Jonas Valanciunas. Sacramento's got Rashawn Holmes. Minnesota's a problem. Oklahoma City, Houston. So there just aren't. So yes, the script has been written. And throughout the season, the Jazz are going to have to work to find ways to be able to deal with this. That we're the best pick and roll team in the league. We're one, or one of the best. We're the best defensive pick and roll team in the league. And the teams want to get us out of that. Do we have other mechanisms to be able to score? And do we have other mechanisms by which we can be as elite defensively? That'll be the story of the season for 82 games. And then the playoff bracket will be who do we run into and whether or not they can do this to us. That's that's our kryptonite. Probably as long as Rudy Gobert's on this roster, that's our kryptonite. And so is this something we've been exposed? Yes. I think we'll see stretches of games. I think we'll see particularly as Rudy plays three stints and he plays the end of the first quarter into the second quarter, we're going to see teams play particularly small and skilled against us. More than small, I think it's skilled. And that was what the Clippers did. They did not play small. Anyone who tells you the Clippers went small on us, I think is making a mistake in their definition. 6'8", 220 across the board is not small. It might be small at center, but it's the right size at power forward and it's above size at every other position. And that's basically what they did. There just aren't that many rosters. Lawrence Frank put together a pretty darn good roster in L.A. There aren't that many rosters that can do it. There aren't that many teams with personnel. We're going to see teams try it. What I think is most interesting is we're going to see teams try it with their second units because they probably don't have a very good backup center. We're going to play somebody undersized when Rudy's out there. And I think we're going to have to watch Rudy at that point try to work harder like he did in the Olympics, scoring around the basket, the Jazz did it with the high passes, how Rudy took advantage of that years past. How do they do it this year? Do they find a new way to get Rudy the ball down low and find a way to expose this will be the offensive answer. And on the defensive answer, if you're doing it with second teams, you probably don't have five shooters or five drivers on the floor. All right, that's the question I've been asked a lot I'll kind of over the next week and two as we get ready to keep asking, answering these questions and looking into things. Uh, that's all coming up uh, as, as we continue here on Locked on Jazz. Chuck Cooperstein will be rejoining us here in a second to do over-unders, and we do Clippers-Lakers right out of the chute, which are two pretty interesting teams um, to see where they're going and what they have to say. Today's show is brought to you by Intercap Lending. Steve Carter is our own personal loan officer at Intercap. They started with like 15 branches, and then they expanded and expanded and expanded. Why? Because they get deals done. And Steve Carter is simply the best. The reviews that we have coming in all the time are just remarkable. But it's also, you know, like I sent Steve Carter a note that says, hey, Ryan uh, is a locked on jazz listener. Can you give him the VIP treatment? And Steve Carter responds 12 minutes later. And he and Ryan are on their way to trying to get 
um, a deal done. The other day we got inquiry from, I think it was Indiana and Steve is qualified in Indiana to get it done. So if you're from out of state, that works. Uh, the other 7.33 at night on Thursday, September 2nd, and this Steve Carter's responding in 23 minutes. This guy is just remarkable. The reviews that I get from Steve time and time again are, are just absolutely fabulous, and they're just a sign of this incredible work. Joel Hiller, I can't think of any other business I've dealt with that's been so responsive. Steve immediately got me the numbers I started looking for when we decided to move forward. It was more painless than I ever thought a mortgage would be. Uh, from... Mr. Valdez, best there is. We've worked with Steve three times now. I have to say he's the best there is. Kirk Hubbard, working with Mr. Carter was by far the easiest activity I've had in respect to my home from start to finish in three weeks with my refi. All through the process, I kept advised on the status and accurate expectations we provided from frequent basis. Steve Carter's done two refis for me. He's just amazing. You can email me at dlock09 at gmail.com and we'll set you up with Steve. Or if you need to reach Steve directly, 385-885-28. That's 385-885-28. Intercap Lending, NMLS number 19-0465. For more information, visit Intercap Lending. One device here, another device there, this streaming there, this stream. It's time to get it all taken care of with DirecTV Stream. It brings live television on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no more need to buy another device ever again. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. Directtv.com, compatible device is required but it's the answer for all your streaming needs, directtv.streaming, and I can still get my jazz games, which is the cool part about that, at directtvstream.com. Chuck Cooperstein, send him a thank you, at Coop Mavs. Are you over or under on the Clippers and the Lakers? Day two of fun with Chuck Cooperstein, the radio voice of the Dallas Mavericks, all-around good guy, barbecue eater, a fan of r r the best part of our over-under, we've done this. And of r r absolutely. We've done this all the, a bunch of years. This is probably our fourth time we've done this. We've never checked to see how we do. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes it fun. Hope you're enjoying the listen as well with Chuck. Uh, all right, Chuck Cooperstein. I, uh, the over-under for our next team is the Los Angeles Clippers. Lakers coming after that. Clippers are at 44.5. They're above. That's an over. That's a definite over. That's a like, definite over. I, I mean, am I, lost on this. Yeah, I, look, Kawhi's great, and Kawhi has certainly murdered the Mavericks the last couple of years in the playoffs. Uh, but, and, and I'll say, you know, Paul George does frustrate me at times. But Paul George is a great regular season player, a truly great regular season player. And, and I think he can, he can carry a lot of that load in the regular season. We kind of like, you know, how he did in Oklahoma City where he was, uh, you know, he was a what, top three MVP guy. But I, 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 I love the depth and versatility of their team. And, and, you know, obviously having watched them closely the last two years in the playoffs against the Mavericks, uh, ultimately, uh, obviously, while you know Kawhi was the ultimate difference maker, the the versatility of their team, uh, especially on the wings, uh, was really noticeable, and it, it allows them to play and win games on nights where maybe they aren't all that great 
offensively. Um, I, I think Ty Lu proved himself to be a, um, a a quality coach. You know, he could do things beyond LeBron. You know, if there, there were any accusations of that. And even if, you know, you go back to the playoff series last year, you know, they, they made the adjustment in the starting lineup uh, for game three, and they put Nick Batum in at the five. Uh, they played a lot smaller and made them more versatile, took the Mavericks out a lot of what they did in that series and ultimately allowed them to win the series. Um, I, I, um, I, I don't see any way that they are under 44 and a half. I mean, that's, that, that, I think that's showing very much a lack of respect for, for that team and that, uh, that team's talent. I'm not, I, I, I'm, neither you or I are allowed to bet, and I'm not a, a, a very. No, and I, and I am not either. No, right. No. However, I would bet the over at about 52 on this team. Like, I think they're off by 10 games on this team. And, and my metrics have them as a 53-win offensive team. So then if their defense is – an and they're going to be an above-average defense team. I have them like a 55 – like, I think they're going to compete for the one seed if they play the whole season. Let me, let me philosophically explain my Denver – why numerically Denver and the Clippers are coming out the way they do for me? Contrast, the, the narrative on both teams is you're missing your star, and so therefore you can't be good. This would be true if both of these teams did not already have high-usage, efficient players to fill that spot. If you lose Kawhi Leonard and Jamal Murray and their 24 possessions a night, and you don't have anyone to fill it, then you're in major problems. But in the case of Denver, the guy filling Jamal Murray's possessions are actually, is actually a better offensive player than Jamal Murray. It's Michael Porter Jr. And in the case of Denver, in, in the case of the Clippers, Paul George is replacing Kawhi Leonard. He's actually just as good an offensive player. There's not a drop-off there. And then you're distributing Paul George's possessions to a bunch of really, really good players. So like Marcus or Marquise, Marcus Morris and Nicholas Batum and Reggie Jackson are not complaining that they have to use two more possessions a night, and they're really no, good at it. And, and especially when you consider last year, I mean, they were a 41% three-point shooting team. They, they were arguably the greatest three-point shooting team uh, in the regular season in NBA history. They were, they're were a fantastic free-throw shooting team. They, they never miss their opportunities on the line. I mean, you have to play. You have to shoot great to beat them. And frankly, that's how the Mavericks beat them three games in the playoffs because they shot the heck out of it in all three of those wins. And in the four losses, they they didn't. <laughs> they, they couldn't. And the Clippers were really efficient in that time. So, um, yeah, that's that's stunning, frankly, to, to, to get that one. That that seems pretty easy. By the way, uh, the interesting one on that playoff series reference, both you and I had game twos, I think it was, that were outlier shooting experiences. And Kevin Pelton wrote a big piece about it uh, in your series where he basically said, Dallas can't do that again. And I did my show after game two and said, we better find another way to win. Like mm -hmm. we better that we can't win again like that. We better find another way to win. And obviously we never found another way to win. And well, well, you know, if you, if you go through the years, the Mavericks um, had a streak of 49 consecutive games uh, that they had lost uh, where they had not shot 40% from the floor. You know, at some point, you have to win a bad game. You have to win when, you're, when you, you don't shoot it well, uh, but you, you've guarded someone. Uh, th that ended actually in the bubble, and then I think they won uh, two more or three more games like that uh, this last year. 
But, you know, suffice to say, I mean, this team has always been offensively based. And again, just to take it back to Dallas, that, you know, that you've, you've got to play defense. And the Clippers can play defense, uh, just like Utah can play defense. Uh, so, you know, you can overcome those nights when, you know, Donovan is nine for 27. Because, you know what, there's another way to get it done. All right. The Los Angeles Lakers. Come in at the betonline.ag number as the number one seed in the Western Conference at 52.5. My listeners know where I am on this. Um, okay. One, two, three, over. Under. Okay. I hate it. Uh, I'm okay. Out Here, I'll, I'll just drop this and then you go. I think they're going to have to compete in the final three weeks of the season to avoid the playing game. I don't think they'll. I don't. I don't think they'll do that. Uh, but I mean, I it's fifty-two. So, I mean, you see, I mean, it's amazing. Just you know, in seeing, listening to your numbers and just where they have everybody rated, they have the West ridiculously tight. Um, yeah. I would. I would say that the Lakers are. Are they are slightly over that, if only because they they should at least have one guy on the floor that. Can that has the ability to dominate the game at, at all at all times, uh, you know. And I I kind of like what uh, Rob Plink has done around the the fringes, uh, you know, in, in bringing in Kendrick Nunn and bringing in Malik Monk. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm not thrilled that they put together the 2012 All NBA team. I mean, that doesn't that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But you know, you're not asking them necessarily to be those players right now you're not asking any of those guys to play 26 minutes or 36 minutes uh it'll be a challenge for frank vogel for sure defensively much more so than uh, than it's been the first two years uh, at, at least until you know there will be moments when they have it and then there'll be you know moments where they're playing houston where they don't care you know and they'll just you know they'll just try to outscore them uh I, like i said i i don't think they're blowing anybody out of the water uh, but uh, but I would I would go over that number just slightly how, over that. How do they score in the half court? Now their transition's unbelievable, and it's been great enough for the last few years. It hasn't mattered because they've just been you know they've been that great in in transition. When AD gets out, LeBron gets out. Now Westbrook gets out. But I mean, th this was not a and I understand they had injuries, but this was not a particularly good offensive team last year. No, no. Like, well, they, 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 they've been a offensively last year. Yeah, well, they, they've been a poor shooting team basically for the last decade. I mean, they've been like in the bottom 10 in, in uh, field goal percentage, uh, like nine out of the last 10 years, I think. So, that you know, that's never been a strong part of theirs. But you know what? You throw it to Andy, and I realize this is uh, totally anti-analytic and, and people don't want to play this way anymore. But you know what? You throw it to Anthony Davis on the block, pretty tough to stop him down there. You know, if you throw you throw you know you throw it down to LeBron. Uh, you know, if LeBron's going to want to post up down there instead of just standing out and you know not absorbing too much contact, he's pretty damn tough to stop down there. Uh, you know, Westbrook, for all of my criticisms of him, and and think ultimately that you can't win a championship with him uh, just because of the mistakes that he makes at the times that he makes them. I mean, he gets he's still really hard to stop going downhill, and and what he did at the end of last year in really almost single-handedly getting Washington to the playoffs uh, was really quite notable. Um, that makes them really, really tough when you then surround them with shooters. 
And that's and that's they're I think they're going to be a much better shooting team this year uh, than than they've been in the past. The question is actually, will they be a good enough defensive team? That that's the bigger issue I think for them. I mean, they've added Rajon guys that aren't good defensive players to the number two defensive team in the league. And the reason they've been so great is because they're defensively great and because they get out and run off their defense. If right. they're certainly not good defensively, then they have to play in the half court. They're not a good half court offensive team. The two things that are the key on this whole thing and why I'm not so high in the Lakers. One's like blasphemy, but like LeBron's not as good as he once was. Like, I know this is like crazy, but like he's 37 years old and I can like find very clearly document the statistical decline that's happened because he's 37. He's still the greatest player that's ever played in the history of the game. But the other greatest player that ever played in the history of the game, Michael Jordan, got less good by the time he was like, this actually happens to every single person. Even if you have a freezer machine in your house, even if you have like you sleep in a chamber, you still age. The other one is, I think for them to be good, I mean, as good as the over-under is, the number one, Anthony Davis has to have a Nikola Jokic year. And I don't know that he can do that. The fact is, he was bad last year. Like, it's not talked about very much. But no, he was bad and, last year. And kind of like Porzingis in Dallas, he's always hurt. He's, you know, availability is, uh, is maybe the most important aspect of, of any player. He misses a lot of games every year. And, you know, I mean, we, we go back to the to the playoffs in, in the bubble and, you know, where he just shot the heck out of it and you know, made the three-pointer against Denver that really turned that series and, uh, you know, became a much better three-point shooter there. But he reverted last year to, to what he's really always been. Um, you know, anytime Anthony Davis is out there shooting threes, that's a win for the defense. You know, and – you know, I think a lot of it for them is, and for him is going to be attitudinal to where he's he's got to play the five. He's got to be their center and and let all the play a little bit smaller and be able to be a little quicker and, and get out and go. Because, but if he is intent on playing the four uh, and you're bringing in, uh, you know, DeAndre Jordan, I mean, like, seriously, I mean, you know, you you got all you got old men there. It, it doesn't work it, it, in that in that stand from that standpoint. It doesn't work. But uh, I'm going to believe that at some point Frank Vogel is going to go to Anthony Davis and say, "Hey, AD, we need you to do this. You've got to do this." And he will do it because I think Anthony Davis is is a team player within the the concept of the team and in trying to win. Uh, and they will be better for it. Let me clarify one thing. When I said he was bad last year, in the realm of superstar players, not yes, in the, in the, in the realm of players, in the realm of Anthony Davis, in the realm of top fifteen players in the NBA, he was not one of them last year. Mm-hmm. All right, that is Chuck Cooperstein. I'm David Locke. We Memphis, Minnesota, New Orleans next as we continue the over under run. Those are the high profile teams. We'll debate the next the next crew coming up. So, do you agree with where we went with Clippers and Lakers? Today's show is brought to you by our good friends at Built Bar. Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market and the healthiest. It's that good. And there is a new one. It's a Built Bar Puff. It's out right now. I've, it's a mint marshmallow, healthy and tasty Built Bar Puff. Pretty incredible. They also have banana cream pie puff out right now. They're always coming out with new flavors and trying new things uh 
There's the peanut butter brownie, the coconut almond, the orange, the strawberry, the coconut, the mint brownie, the salted caramel, the raspberry, the double chocolate, the cookies and cream, and the cherry barcia. Those are the standards. You can make your own mixed box of two of every flavor. You can build your own mix and match three flavors. And with it, you get a protein bar that's 130 calories, 2.5 fat grams, four net carbs, four sugar, and six grams of fiber while getting 17 grams of protein. It's truly remarkable and they taste great. I've become a Built Bar everyday guy at this point. So go check it out at Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15 and you get the mint marshmallow puff right now. 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, and five grams of sugar. I think I'm trying this out. We'll have a box of those coming to the house here shortly because I'm going to try it. Plus the customer service experience with Built is just Fabulous. Locked 15 is your promo code to get your built bar and get it taken care of. By the way, all the lines we're using with Chuck Cooperstein are coming to you from betonline.ag, and they've got some special things for you right now. With the football season back, the number one place to place your bets for pro and college football this season is Bet Online. Head to the website, use the mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100%. Welcome bonus to double your initial deposit just signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100 to get that 100% bonus for football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports. Bet online, the online sportsbook experts. Wonder what would happen if you actually followed Chuck Cooperstein or my advice and took all of these suggestions we're giving you on over, under, and whether you'd buy into all of them or not. By the way, the Giant, the Washington football team is a three-and-a-half-point favorite for the Thursday game. They actually have all the uh, Champion League's basketball games going on right now as well. NBA Futures, they have championship, conference futures, division futures, and finals matchup at betonline.ag. The Jazz have are in the sixth most likely, fifth most likely NBA finals matchup, which is Brooklyn Nets versus Utah Jazz. The most likely is Brooklyn Nets versus L.A. Lakers. Can I take the field on that instead, please? Can I take the field? That would be my answer um, if I could. NBA regular season MVP, their number one, Luka Doncic, is their most favorite. Bet online. With a heavy debate over the L.A. Lakers in the books, let's continue down the bet online AG over-unders with our friend Chuck Cooperstein, John Morant, Jaron Jackson, are obviously very interesting players. The Memphis Grizzlies are at 41.5 on the over-unders. We haven't done a lot of agreeing today. Let's see what happens here. Chuck Cooperstein, radio voice of the Mavericks with us. Three, two, one, under. I, <laughs> you, you, you uh, you know. I know, I flinched, I flinched. Uh, I'm going because well, I, I wasn't sure if you're counting down again or, or uh, oh. I'm going over. I'm going over. <laughs> this is great. We don't agree on anybody. This is great. Uh, they are to me. I love Taylor Jenkins. I am so great. And, and, and how he coaches that team and that team maxes out every night, every night. And I, I am going to count on internal improvement for that team, maybe more than any team in the league this year, because they are so young. I mean, they, they've got, I think they've got great wings. I, you know, Morant, I would like him to be a little more efficient as a shooter. I think in that regard, he kind of went down a little bit last year, but I think we saw, you know, toward the end of the season when the games got really big, that he, he was more than able to meet the moment. 
Uh, I, and, and let's face it, I mean, a lot of this is going to come down to Jaron Jackson and, and his ability to be that player that he was prior to his injury. He didn't, uh, you know, barely played last year. And uh, you're, you're basically looking at uh, uh, almost a, a two-year a two absence for him. And uh, he, when he got hurt, he looked like he was really going to be on his way to being something pretty special, you know, as part of that 2018 class that arguably is the best top five that is, has been drafted since the 2003 draft. And I think he can be that player. I mean, I, I wasn't crazy about the trade with New Orleans because I really thought the Valanciunas fit that team better than Steven Adams fits that team. But Steven Adams d- pr- provides the requisite toughness, uh, I think, that, uh, that is, is valuable to them. Uh, I, I just like the, the overhaul of their roster. I, love, I, I, just, I really like their guards. I, I think they, they play unafraid. And I think that, that there will be internal improvement for them that will allow them to uh, go over that number. It's interesting. I, I actually kind of, in a lot of ways, agree with everything that you just said. Uh, so obviously John Morant's terrific. He does have to shoot at some point in time. Like they're gonna, the teams are going to get used to this and it's going to have an impact. Um, I think Taylor Jenkins is probably one of the great coaches in this league and people don't realize it yet. I just truly, and having played them in the playoffs, feel like their everything was Jonas Valanciunas. Like I... I just really thought they were minus three when he was off the floor. They were in the 40th percentile offensively when he was off the floor. Like, I just think their entire existence was based on Valanciunas just rolling to the basket, his pick setting, his offensive rebounding. And I think it's a massive, massive loss for them. I, 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 the, and I actually kind of like, well, first of all, Steven Adams is the single most likable player in the NBA. If any, if you, if any player in the world, if I had got like had to be at a layover at an airport for like an hour and a half, I want it to be Steven Adams. One, he'll protect me. Two, he's so enjoyable. But I just don't think that he's at the caliber of player that Jonas Valanciunas is at all. And so I no, think that's I, a massive hit. Yeah, I, I don't think he is either. I mean, but I, but I just think that, uh, certainly the experience that those guys got uh, late in the year, uh, Morant, Dylan Brooks, is another guy. I mean, he guards everybody. He shoots too much for my liking. Uh, you know, he, he's never met a shot. He didn't like, um, uh, Kyle Anderson improved dramatically for them, uh, and became, I think that the type of player that San Antonio always thought that they were going to have, but never got, um, they, they've got length. Uh, they've got some speed. Uh, they've got, they've got some toughness. Uh, you know, I, I, even like coming off the bench, I love Xavier Tillman. Absolutely love that guy. Um, I, I just think they've got a lot of the right pieces in place to go over that number. Yeah. I'll leave one last note on this before we move on. Um, John Morant had three lineups last year in which he played at least 80 possessions without Jonas Valanciunas. They were a minus 11, minus three, and minus 12 per 100 possessions. Yeah. Now, I obviously know Memphis because we, like, lived with them, right? Like, in the playoffs. So, right. like, I'm pretty deep on them. All right, let's go to the team that just perpetually doesn't seem to ever get better. The Minnesota Timberwolves are 33.5. Actually, I thought you were going to go with the Pelicans. Oh, yeah. That's, they're all, they're all you could have said that about the Pelicans, right? <laughs> 33.5 on, on the Timberwolves. 
Yeah, they've got to be better than that. Right? Not, may, may, maybe not much better than that, but they got to be better than that. I mean, just for, for the offensive firepower that they have, and they actually did play better toward the end of last season. Uh, I'm, I'm going over on that. I'm not going to tell you they're a playoff team or anything like that. But, you know, you're, you're running Towns and Russell and Edwards and Beasley out there. Man, that, that team can score. Now, again, are they going to stop anybody? I think that's Chris Finch's charge to, to get them to play a little bit of defense. Uh, you know, a guy like Patrick Beverly can hurt a lot, but he could actually help them, if nothing else from a mindset standpoint of saying, fellas, uh, you know, if, if you want to get to where you want to go, you know, this is what you have to do. And he doesn't necessarily have to do like a whole lot himself, you know, statistically to make that work. But I, I think it's just kind of, what he brings to that team. I'll tell you who else I, I like, you know, who actually does have some of that uh, in him, and that's McDaniels. Uh, you know, and, and even a guy like Vanderbilt, but McDaniels especially. Uh, you know, he's he was a top 10 recruit, uh, you know, for Washington a couple of years ago. And every, everybody loves that athleticism. And his, now his offense is slow to come around, and, and, but, he, but he was better as the year went on, and he can guard a lot of people. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm taking the over on them. They're not a playoff team, but there's but like 33 wins is like, that's like bad, right? That's bad. And, and I don't think they're that bad. The other thing I would say is when you watch this league, the coaching in the league is great. Like really great. Like the head coach really in this great. really and great. <laughs> when you're not a great head coach, it's pretty obvious. And Minnesota has not had a great head coach. Maybe Chris Finch will be that. But they did not have a very good head coach for the last few years. So there has to be an uptick on that regard. Like, there just aren't, like, I, I don't, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm being critical. It's a little bit more of a tip of the hat to the guys, the Carlisles and the Snyders and the Lou's and the Vogels of the world. They're unbelievable in how yeah, great I, they are. So if you're average or below average, it's really obvious. Yeah, I, th I think it's, you know, the, the jury is obviously still out on Chris Finch. I mean, he came in in the middle of the season. From a different organization. I mean, really, like, when does that happen in the NBA? It never happens in the NBA. And so he's got to, you know, take what's already there and try to make it work in a season where you're not practicing, you know, you're, you're barely looking to tape, and you're sort of just throwing your guys out there on the floor every night and say, have at it. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with a little more time together. The one thing I do know is they can score. They can really score. I would say this, if I were them, I would do whatever I could, including trading Anthony Edwards and a draft pick to get Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons needs Carl Anthony Towns is the perfect complimentary player to 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 Carl Anthony Towns is the perfect complimentary player to Ben Simmons. There, there's not a well, player in the world that would be better for Ben Simmons than Carl Anthony Towns. Uh yeah, when uh, Ben Simmons is playing next to him defensively. And, and, and can clean up all his terrible play. But Ben Simmons, to me right now, is the, mo is the most difficult player to fit into any NBA team because of his desire to have the ball in his hands and yet his inability to do more than pass when the ball is in his hands or even want to do anything other than pass with the ball in his hands. So you tell me, okay, that Anthony Edwards in a draft choice for Ben Simmons – uh, you're telling me that D'Angelo Russell's not going to have the ball in his hands? Not a good thing. Well, that 
you know, that, that, that. I'm not a big D'Angelo Russell guy, so he can go too. Right, right. I'm, you know, I mean, whatever. But D'Angelo Russell can score, and D'Angelo Russell, in order to score, needs the ball in his hands. Yeah, I, mean, I just, I, I don't, I don't know where Ben fits. I mean, un, until Ben figures it out, or at least has a desire to work on his offensive game uh, beyond, you know, the game he had against the Jazz when he scored 42 points. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how it works for him. I really don't. You know who didn't play that night, right? Yes, I do know who didn't play that night, and he took advantage of it. <laughs> I would, I will, maybe that 42 point night has tarnished me, but I would do anything to go get Ben Simmons if I was most teams in the league, in particular if I was Minnesota. All right, final one today. The New Orleans Pelicans are at 39.5. I actually thought they took a little bit of a step back in the offseason, but they do have the nice, like, unguardable, one of the most unguardable offensive players and a phenom in Zion. Over under on 39.5 in three, two, one. Under. No idea. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> What'd you do? Under. All right. Give me your thoughts because I really don't have a vibe here. Well, isn't that the problem with New Orleans? Like it's just like you said before, it's like they're they're spinning their wheels. And I'm I'm really surprised, given uh, and I really uh, am a David Griffin fan. Uh, I think he's a really smart guy, but I'm 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 not sure what he's trying to do here. I, I don't understand what's going on. Zion put together one of the most amazing seasons ever. You know, 27 points and 60 percent shooting. Like it's it's happened one other time, right, in the history of the league or something like that. It's just crazy. Uh, Ingram again. Tell me he's going to be healthy. You know, Zion, you know, how many games does he play? Uh, Valanchunas will help them. There's no doubt. But what's – I'm not a Devontae Graham fan, and I think they gave up a lot to get him. Uh, I, I am kind of enamored of, of Kyra Lewis, but I don't know what Willie Green, the new coach, is going to think of him. Uh, Trey Murphy can kind of shoot the ball. I mean, he did shoot the ball at, uh, at Virginia last year, but are we counting on rookies again, as you pointed out, to, to step up and, and make a, a non-playoff team uh, into a playoff team. Um, I just, I, I see pretty much the same, the same kind of team, which is, you know, they're kind of fun to watch to get up and down the floor. But again, another team that's uh, very heavily offensive oriented that plays next to no defense at all. And tell, and tell me who the defenders are. Yeah. I, unless Zion's their point guard, I'm not, I don't get it. Like, how do you lose Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball in back-to-back -back years? Like, I'm, I'm. And, and especially after Lonzo had, impro had improved as much as he's improved. I mean, literally a guy who came into the NBA who couldn't shoot. Now he can shoot. And now he can guard. And now you know, he gives you something other than, you know, a guy playing pick and roll basketball. I mean, he's, he's arguably one of the, the two or three best pass ahead point guards in the league. I mean, that you become much more difficult to defend when you get the ball in the front court that fast. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised they gave up on him. Uh, and, but it was clear, you know, that they were going to give up on him. I mean, by the time the season came to an end, uh, I mean, look, Zion's phenomenal. But again, like, like, like a lot of teams that have one really good player, can't, they can't do it alone. They need help. They need people, you know, helping to raise the boat. I don't know who those players are in New Orleans. My offensive metrics do like them, by the way. They have them as about a 50-win offensive team. That's because of Zion. 
By the way, contrast, we talked about the Lakers earlier. My offensive metric have the Lakers as a 42-win offensive team. Wow. <laughs> the Lakers not only come out badly on my metrics, they're not close. Like, to wrap up this kind of – this today's discussion, and, and the teams we've talked about so far, we haven't gotten to Phoenix yet, but we talked about Denver the first day. They come out as a 54-win offensive team. Clippers come out as a 53-win offensive team. Denver – Dallas comes out as a 53-win offensive team. We haven't talked about Portland yet. We haven't talked about Utah yet. The Pelicans we just I mentioned come out as a 51 offense win offensive team. The Lakers come out, Golden State comes out as a 47 win offensive team, and the Lakers come out as a 42 win offensive team, and that's if Anthony Davis returns to form and does not have last year over again. Like going to have to play the last month of the season to avoid the play in game. I'm telling you. They won't they won't be down with the Grizzlies the Wolves, or the Pelicans, who we just talked about. He's Chuck Cooperstein. Final day coming up. We'll touch on Utah. We'll touch on Phoenix, the one and two seeds last year in the West. On Portland, are they really having that bad an offseason? we got five teams left, I think. We'll hit them. Oklahoma City, we'll say hi to and then leave, And uh, which is like the dream if you're traveling there. Back with that tomorrow with Chuck Cooperstein on Locked on Jazz.